www.netivyah.org. Nativia Bible Instruction Ministry presents Teaching from Zion, Volume 24, August 2008. The Christian Diet Food Laws in the New Testament by Joseph Shulam. One of the most cherished values of believers is freedom. Yeshua said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. John 8, verse 32. There is no question that what Yeshua said is true. There is a question that nags us all, however, and it is the same question that Pontius Pilate, the Roman procurator, asked Yeshua just before he sent him to be flogged and crucified. What is truth? Truth can only be found by examining the living Word of God. In this way, we have standards that shape our lives. One of the most basic human needs is food. Therefore, it is important to know the truth concerning the New Testament laws about the substances that we ingest. In order to discover the truth, we must address the following questions. Is a believer free to put anything he desires into his mouth and eat whatever he pleases? What is the attitude of the New Testament toward the Torah's dietary laws? In order to understand the New Testament teaching on food, we actually need to start from the very end. Let us therefore examine the book of Revelation and what it says about eating. Revelation 2.14 says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who keep teaching Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Additionally, Revelation 2 verse 20 says, But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality, and eat things sacrificed to idols. In both cases in Revelation, there seems to be a clear condemnation of eating things sacrificed to idols, Confusing this situation greatly, though, is the fact that a cursory reading of the letters of the Apostle Paul gives the impression that it is permissible to eat meat or things sacrificed to idols. This alone ought to cause us to dig a little deeper and search with an open mind what the Lord's will is concerning what, when, where, and how we eat. We learn that freedom has its limits when we see the complete picture of the ancient world which the good news was born and spread. Food is not the most important thing in our lives. Nevertheless, we must remember that eating blood is absolutely condemned in the scriptures and classified as a negative commandment for everyone, including non-Jews, in the body of the Messiah. The instructions given by the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 have far-reaching ramifications for all disciples of Yeshua, when slaughtering animals for food, all the blood of the animal has to be drained. This is clear from the second prohibition that the apostles gave in Acts 15, eating meat strangled. The meaning of eating meat strangled is not so simple to discern, because this Greek word is used only once in the New Testament. The least that it could mean is that one should not strangle an animal and eat the meat. The most likely meaning and implication is that an animal that is slaughtered for food ought to be bled while he is being killed. 
The throat of the animal is cut so the heart pumps the blood out of the body of the animal until it is drained. Although in a mixed community of Jews and non-Jews, there is diversity and freedom. The apostles thought it necessary to command the non-Jews in the body of the Messiah to abstain from blood and from eating meat strangled. I believe that this is a significant issue which the church ought to take to heart and discuss very seriously before completely dismissing the issue or accepting the ruling of the first century apostles. As for food offered to idols, as it is discussed in Corinthians and Revelation, we can say clearly that Revelation 2:14 and 20 condemn the churches that eat meat offered to idols. These verses see eating things sacrificed to idols as the work of Balaam and puts a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. On the other hand, Paul is not speaking post priori, after the fact like John, but rather a priori, a principle that is independent of experience. Here he gives instruction of a legal, halachic nature that instructs the believer in all possible considerations and circumstances so that our freedom in the Messiah does not become a stumbling block to the weak brother. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, This is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it, for the sake of the one who informed you, and for conscience' sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 25-31 through 31. Most people read the opening statement of this passage and stop there. In order to understand Paul's rabbinic technique in this passage, one must continue reading, however. This passage is a legal Torah discussion based on Psalms 24, verse 1. First, it uses a principle that illustrates the general rule that comes from this passage and then elaborates the circumstances under which the principle ought to be modified. Under normal circumstances, a person ought to value the honor of the invitation and the one that invites him more than his food. Nevertheless, when the food is given as a test case to see if the believer is consistent with the principles of his faith or not, the food and the honor of the host who serves the food takes a second place to the firm convictions of faith, which instruct us not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Physical food is not the most important thing for disciples of Yeshua and for the kingdom of God. Paul states very clearly in Romans 14, verse 13 through 17, Therefore let us not judge one another any more, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Yeshua that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom the Messiah died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves the Messiah is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. We can learn several very important things from this short passage of Scripture. First, food is not the most important thing for us. Walking according to love is much more important. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit are much more important for us and for God. Second, everything that God has created is clean and good. But if one thinks that something is unclean, it is unclean for him. Therefore, he ought not eat it, lest he violate his conscience. Things that we do without faith and a clean conscience are sins. Most people do not understand this principle, because we have a sense that sin is always an absolute. On the contrary, every judge, lawyer, and jury knows that there can be what is called in legal language extenuating circumstances. Yeshua healed the sick on the Sabbath, and he did not condemn his disciples for picking corn on the Sabbath. He did not break the Sabbath laws because he, like most of the rabbis of his day, understood that there are circumstances under which not to heal on the Sabbath would be a sin, not to allow the hungry to eat on the Sabbath would be wrong, and not to cook hot soup for the sick on the Sabbath would be a transgression. We need to understand these principles and start applying them to our own lives and thinking. When we do this, we will be less condemning of others and more helpful than those who are suffering from the religious epidemic of legalism. After considering these points, we can now examine some of the biblical principles concerning food and eating and how the Word of God instructs us with regard to them. We must pay attention to the fine difference between instructs and commands in this case. Essentially, the word Torah means instruction, not law. To eat or not to eat, that is the question. It is interesting that the very first instruction that God gave man in the Garden of Eden was not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The first sin humans committed against God was in the matter of eating. Long before the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, Noah already knew about clean and unclean animals. This is what God told Noah. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. Genesis 7, verse 2 and 3. What we eat is connected also with what we offer on the Lord's altar. We are commanded to offer only the same animals that we are allowed to eat, or the clean animals. It is logical to suppose that what is good enough to be sacrificed to God on the altar is also what God wants His children to consume. Although there are passages in the New Testament that might give the impression that a person can eat anything he wants, a more careful examination of these statements shows some interesting new angles. Freedom from judgment. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Messiah. Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17. 
These words of Paul often are used to justify eating anything and not celebrating the biblical holidays because this text says that we ought not judge one another about these things. What the statement means, however, is that we have freedom to keep or not to keep kosher. In a congregation that has both Jews and non-Jews, this is the natural and totally necessary position if the two groups want to continue to walk together and worship in the same place. There has to be a wide allowance for different expressions of the same faith. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 20, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches, Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Has any one been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. This passage from 1 Corinthians is really not complicated. It is, in fact, very clear. The language is easy, and the instruction is simple. Let each believer stay in the same status that he was when God called him. If someone was called as a Jew, he should not become a Gentile. If he was called as a Gentile, uncircumcised, he should not become Jewish. There are several different implications that arise from this text. 1. God does not make mistakes when He creates us. 2. God is the one who calls us, and He does so not because we are Jews or Gentiles. 3. We were made exactly as the Maker wanted us to be, and we do not need to change. 4. It is not important if one is a Jew or non-Jew. What is important to God is how we keep the commandments. Keeping God's commandments is much more important to God than being circumcised or uncircumcised. 5. Not all the commandments are for all people. There are specific commandments for men and others for women. There are commandments for Jews and others for non-Jews. This simple point is a cause of great stress to some people in the church, and in some cases it has led to enormous divisions in the body of Yeshua our Messiah. Let us reiterate that for God it is not important if a person is a Jew, circumcised, or a non-Jew, uncircumcised. What is important is what commandments a person keeps and how he demonstrates his faith through keeping them. Unity in Diversity in the context of the first century, especially in the diaspora, the Jewish community and the church were mixed with both Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. This kind of mixed situation was a wonderful celebration of the variety of God's human colors. It did create some major adjustment problems concerning culture and custom between races and nationalities, though. There is nothing for this reason, Paul speaks directly to disarm the possibility of major rift and division in the church in the continuance of the passage in Romans 14 that we examined above. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. 
It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Romans fourteen twenty through 23 Just as the passage in Colossians says, Here too in Romans, Paul admonishes the church not to judge one another and to do what is possible to resolve the problem of eating foods that are considered unclean in a peaceful manner. Paul is speaking of a gradation of commandments. The most important command is not to offend or hurt the feelings of one's brother so as not to become a stumbling block to him. This principle is very clear in Rabbinic Judaism also. The rabbis understand that eating unclean foods is only a minor sin by looking at the punishments that God gave in the Torah for different sins. Eating food that is not clean does not require a horrid punishment. The only punishment a person had when he ate unclean food was that on the same day he could not go up to the temple and worship God. He could go to sleep that same evening, and when he woke up he would be pure and able to go up to Jerusalem and worship in the temple again. In contrast, if a person embarrassed someone publicly, the punishment was much more severe. When we compare the severity of the punishments of the two sins, we see that it is a bigger sin to embarrass a person in public than to eat pig or anything else unkosher. With this key principle in mind, we see that Paul actually did three things in this passage in Romans 14. 1. Paul tried to keep the unity of the local congregation, especially between the Jewish and Gentile mixture inside the congregation. 2. Paul tried to stop the disruption of the daily life in the congregation in Rome. He wanted to see unity and cooperation there. 3. Paul wanted people to have the right priorities and realize that the kingdom of God deals with so much more than issues of food and drink, or upon which days a person should rest or not. For Paul himself, these things were actually important, but not more important than the unity of the church and the bond of the body of the Messiah. We need to remember that Paul kept the Torah as much as it was humanly possible. In Acts 28, verse 17, Paul met with the leaders of the Jewish community of the city of Rome and told them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. From this text, we learn that Paul kept both the Torah and the oral traditions as much as he could. In light of his own life, a person like Paul could not speak against the keeping of the Torah or Jewish tradition without being accused of duplicity and hypocrisy. In my opinion, this great Jew and disciple of Yeshua did not have even a small amount of duplicity in his life and message. For this reason, I think that the traditional opinions about Paul and his anti-Jewish gospel comes from the church fathers and the anti-Semitic attitudes of the Byzantine and Roman churches rather than from the scriptures themselves. Yeshua and the Pharisees on what goes out and what comes in. When he had called the entire multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, 
Those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a man. Mark seven fourteen through 23 This passage is one of the most challenging to explain because it is so Jewish and rabbinic in nature. Let us take into consideration the previous discussion about how sins have degrees of severity. In Christian and Western culture, people often think a sin is a sin is a sin. It is not so in the Word of God, though. All sins are not created equal. Each sin has the proper degree of punishment, and one sin is not the same as another. When Miriam and Aaron, Moses' siblings, spoke evil against him in Numbers 12, their punishment was that Miriam became a leper. Leprosy is considered something very severe and impure in the Jewish understanding. It was so impure that people who were sick with leprosy actually had to leave the camp and live in a special colony. Even King Uziah had to rule Jerusalem from afar because he had leprosy. The word for leper in Hebrew is metzorah. To speak evil of someone in Hebrew is called motzirah, which literally means to take evil out of one's mouth. So speaking evil and giving false accusations against someone, motzira, is a wordplay with metzora, leper. With this background, it is clear that Yeshua taught that the Pharisees speaking evil against his disciples was just like being infected with leprosy, which is much more defiling and impure than eating unclean food or eating without washing one's hands. In no way was Yeshua negating the Torah of God that was given by Moses for the people of Israel. Had Yeshua spoken against the word of God, he would be a sinner and thus unfit to be the Messiah and Savior of the world. Yeshua was sinless, and he is the Son of God, our Savior, Messiah, and Rabbi, who is now sitting at the right hand of God. The issue of food and eating is a universal human issue, and for this reason it evokes strong emotions and feelings. This article in no way intends to convict anyone or condemn anyone in the matter of eating or not eating or hinder anyone's freedom. The real questions here are historical and exegetical. Did Yeshua or his disciples break the Torah and teach against it? Does the New Testament teach that Jewish disciples of Yeshua ought to eat bacon in order to go to heaven? Does the Word of God allow everyone to eat anything under all circumstances? Is the present position of the majority of the Christian world truly a biblical position, or should the rules that the apostles made for the non-Jews in Acts 15 still apply today? These questions above might not be fully examined or answered by this short article, but they are raised here so that the reader can ponder and examine them and embark on a serious search in the Word of God for answers that will satisfy him. Have a good journey! 
that will whet your appetite for the best physical and spiritual vittles that God can provide. Nativia, www.netivyah.org